From American Salon Magazine and .com, I'm Gordon Miller, and this is American Salon Stories, our weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. So today is going to be an experience, and more on what that means in a minute. Um, our guest today is the co-founder and co-president of Orbe Haircare, a 25-year beauty business veteran. He's involved in every aspect of the iconic Orbe brand, from product development, education and design, to packaging, sales, marketing strategy. He is a St. Paul, Minnesota native who splits his time between New York, Miami, and Connecticut. His passions, this is quite a list, include family, travel, scrapbooking, drawing, gardening, landscape design historic fiction, cooking and drinking wine. And I'm going to add that I know he also shares my passion for a great cup of coffee. Welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast, Daniel Kaner. Gosh, Gordon, that was fantastic. I feel like I'm on public radio. This is amazing. <laughs> thank, thank you for taking the time to be here with us and, and with our audience. I want to start out by asking you to give kind of the short version, the backstory of Daniel Kaner professionally, and, um, and also kind of what is a typical day in your life because you've got a lot on your plate. Yes. I, I started out in the business. I married into the business. Let's just say I married a wonderful woman by the name of Sonia Kashik, who was in the makeup business, who is in the makeup business. And she introduced me to one of my many mentors, but one of my great mentors, Horst Recklebacher from Aveda. And I started working with Aveda and it was a wonderful long run with Aveda and learned a lot of great things. And I was invited to be a partner at Bumble and Bumble. And we had another equally exciting journey there. And I learned a lot of wonderful things there. And then my partner and I and Orbe, we founded Orbe Haircare. So I, I squeezed that into about five seconds, but I'm about 55 years young, but it seems like it's been just a very, very quick journey. Well, as somebody who's been around for a long time and kind of pays attention to who's doing what, you know, you have a pretty stellar career. I mean, Aveda, Bumble and Bumble, Orbe, all in senior executive roles and, and now co-founder and co-president. It's a pretty big deal. You've accomplished a lot. I, I've been very, very fortunate and I've trained myself to recognize that every day. It's, it's really a wonderful thing. And I've been able to be involved with these passionate projects that just energize me. And the people that I work with are so extraordinary. The team of people that I work with and the clients that I get to work with, I often say, or my wife would say, she says, you know, if you would take as good a care of me as you take with your beloved team and customers, <laughs> we would have a really good relationship. <laughs> I love that. Um, now, I, I will probably get text messages from some of our audience members if, if I don't ask you um, to share with us a horse story or or lessons learned or, or, or something because, you know, the opportunity you had to spend time with him, I mean, that must have been amazing. It was. I, I spent a lot of time with him and I have so many stories, but I think, you know, if you were to speak about horse, you would, or if you spent any time with horse, you would have, you would have spent time with a, a burning comet, you know, someone that was so passionate. You know, sometimes words don't have the same meaning anymore because we don't use them correctly. But Horse was so passionate. He was, when people talk about being 100% in, you know, the level of belief, the level of innovation, he oftentimes would use words in a very unique 
way. So there's many, many things that I've learned. But he'd say something like, you know, you know, money, Denny, money is energy. You know, he would yeah, he had a unique accent, but um, money is energy. Or you know, you'd watch how he did business, which was not business as usual, but he really was able to tap into people and people really understood his message. I think that's one of the great takeaways of that experience. I I can't help but ask now, can you expand on the money is energy idea? Because I I have a feeling there's something big behind that. Well, you know, he was an environmentalist, as everyone knows, and he looked at things kind of interesting. He was wired where some of uh, the great creatives, a lot of the people that we're talking to today, myself for sure, sometimes we see things a little sideways. And I think instead of being upset about it, you know, it's something to very much celebrate. And when you take a look at everything in his company, um, to waste energy or to waste money, I think it was something very, very similar. So um, to get us to see his point, oftentimes he used analogies that really resonated with with a lot of his audience. That's a good one. That's a good one. So you and I recently connected to talk about a new educational initiative that you have. But I have to say that every time I've connected with you, it seems like it's around education at Orbe. And I know it's one of the pillars of the business. And I know you do it in really unique ways. Um, You've got some great people on staff, but talk a little bit about education and the importance to the brand, but also the importance to our audience. You know, a long time ago, we've, we've now been in the professional segment for a long time. And as a business leader, we're always looking at the way that we support um, the people that we do business with. And we we direct distribute. So we have a very cellular relationship with, with individuals. And on my business card, I've got my direct telephone number without a filter, and I put my cell number because I realize how important that relationship is. And it's wonderful that we get to see so many things, whether it's belonging to CEW, Cosmetic Executive Woman, or traveling to you know, some of the manufacturers that we use or speaking with certain business leaders. And I love to share that with our audience. I think you know, every day we try to bring value and the business education has always been very tailored to this segment of the beauty business. And we always want to bring something that we see as new and something that they can use to improve their business their relationships. You guys, you you live kind of at the luxury prestige level within the industry, at least the way I see it. And, uh, but I want to say to our audience that um, every segment can learn from another. And, you know, we're really fortunate to have you with us today because um, again, I, I, from your introduction, I think you're kind of a Renaissance man and um, your interests are, are, are so diverse. And, you know, we had a conversation about this program we're going to talk about. And I think that diverse experience and, and your history in the industry and your commitment to education, they all inform this program. Um, it, it's called 360 Degrees, the New Customer Experience. And and I, I want to start by, well, maybe just give a little overview of what the program is, but then I, I really want to have a conversation about that word experience. Yes, the 360, it's a, it's a very interesting program. And it's a program that's near and dear to my heart. I teach it with one of my collaborators, Tom Seberger, who's an amazing educator. We go back many years in our career. And the idea is to revisit the idea of the experience. Now, everyone will tell us that the experience is critical in in what we provide to our client. And we know that, you know, Hallmark cards understand this. And we know that Walt Disney understood this. But as we started to dig in 
a little deeper, we found out that it's not just the experience. You know, we found out that we as human beings have new experiences every three seconds. You, Gordon, as a human being, will have 600 million experiences within your lifetime, but they oftentimes mean nothing. They oftentimes just evaporate. What we've learned is that if you create a memory-grade experience, that is the critical component, attaching a memory to it. The, the way you describe that, it, it's almost like our thousands of experiences that we're having nonstop or competing with one another. To Absolutely. Be, to be a memory. You know, so, and, and, and so that's, that's a fascinating idea that I think is important for everybody to hear. So, so go deeper for us. What, what we do is we take two days and we explain the thesis about the experience and the memory. And then we start to break it down into how does that work for us? How does that work within our business? How do we use it to train our people? How do we look at all the different touch points within our salon? How do we understand it so we can create something memory grade in what we perform and what we do with our customers? When we last talked about this, you know, I, I, we talked about how that word experience, it's, it's almost becoming a cliche because every time I hear anybody talk about the business, it, it comes up. And yet we know that we're in a very competitive industry, that salons are battling to even be profitable. And, you know, if, if experience is at the heart of it all, I'd say as an industry, we're struggling a little bit. And so what's your thoughts around that? You know, I, I guess it depends how you take a look at it. I was recently at a Fashion Institute of Technology's graduation, and I took my team. They have a very interesting beauty program. They're one of the only ones in the country. And I have two great uh, colleagues who graduated from the program. And when the young people were doing their graduate seminar, the topic was the future of luxury. So I was very interested in, in hearing it. And when we listened to the coursework and we heard what big luxury, big beauty is trying to achieve by the year 2030, I sat in the audience and I thought, oh my God, I wish I could have my community sitting here with us because everything that they want to achieve, heightened engagement, intimate experience, you know, authenticity, something that's personal is what we've always had. But we're not sure maybe how to take that and move that into the future. Um, I think there's tremendous opportunity for those that are willing to shift their thinking. We have such a personal relationship with our client. It's, it's probably next to your physician. You probably have, I'm speaking to our audience, have a stronger relationship than anyone else. And I think the opportunity is really, really tremendous if we shift the way that we think a little bit. So I'm, I'm quite bullish. Even though there is a time of great shift, I see tremendous things from my vantage point. And I'm going to add that I think the relationship is deeper than your physician because the average American goes to see their physician maybe once a year, maybe once every two years. And you see your hairdresser I hope, you know, eight to 10 times a year. So absolutely. So it's, absolutely. It, to your point, it's, it's a really deep relationship. I, I just read something interesting that um, in the restaurant industry that um, millennials in particular are going to restaurants in more frequency than, than any other generation. And that generally spending is up over the last four years, spending is up 25% in the restaurant industry. And it was, the, the article was about the competition of all the other segments with the restaurant industry and how the restaurant industry is winning a little bit 
because of experience. And it's that search that we all have for experience. Can you give like some, some, get a little granular on the salon experience, like things you've seen or things you've experienced. You're like, wow. Yes, absolutely. But I'll use another analogy. I was recently in Texas and I walked into really a wonderful hotel because it felt a little different. There was Instead of the magazine kiosk, there was an acetylene bookstore tucked in the corner. And as I looked straight ahead, there was this mechanism, this, this wonderful, almost looks like a, a um, science experiment. And it was a blue bottle, blue bottle coffee shop. And it was this amazing looking drip, um, drip uh, filter, but it, was an ex- it looked like an experiment. Multiple glass tubes that were turning around. And I immediately walked into that shop and I said, what is that? And they told me what it was. And I said, I want to get one. They said, fine, get in line. And I paid my five or six dollars for it. But it was something different. It was something unique. And the coffee was very good. But you had all these passionate people talking about this coffee. Now, I like you enjoy my cup of coffee and I like my Starbucks or I like my 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 local uh, brewery, wherever's around, where, wherever I am. But this was different. This was an experience that I hadn't had and I had to experience it. And we all know that we process first emotionally, then we process logically. So I think going back to your question, I think some of the most exciting things I'm seeing in salons is this renaissance of creating a very unique experience. And, you know, we've always seen it. I've been, I've had a long career, as you pointed out. And in most of those cases, we've direct distributed our products. I've had the, this amazing, you know, journey of meeting salon owners. And, you know, you walk in and here's a salon owner that has their own coffee shop. They roast their own beans. They have their own saying on their cup. I walk into another shop and there's all sorts of beautiful books on the shelf. And inside the book is a bookmark that allows the customer to date and notate where they were. So the next six weeks when they come back, they can resume looking in the book. I met a, a woman that had this magnificent, um, in, in, uh, I was just recently in Taipei, and one of our clients had this very large board. and. It, interesting routed pegs um, in a geometric shape. And she had small canvases, three by three, and she welcomed her guests to paint a picture. And the assemblage became a piece of art in her salon. So there are people today in America, very gifted salon operators all over the world, but really great operators in America that are creating awesome experiences that are pushing the proposition further that have more customers than they could hope to have. They're they're attracting great stylists and they're doing a wonderful job because they're innovating. That's really the the direction. I I love what you you said about making decisions in the emotional versus the logical and and how we how we use them both. But I would say in the salon, maybe emotion trumps logic sometimes. And it maybe comes maybe comes first, you know, for the average client because I think the best salon experiences for me are emotional because I make yes. that connection with the stylist. I I have that moment where I feel so good about myself because of how they've 
express themselves to me, often more so than the work. Talk about the emotional aspect of experience, the big idea, and 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 let's dig into the 360. I really want to make sure people understand more about that program. Well, I think it's important that we understand how we as human beings process. And there's a, a doctor, a famous man by the name of Daniel Kahneman, and I hope I pronounced that right. But he won a Nobel Prize by discovering that we as human beings first recognize or process emotionally. Oh, I love that car. And then secondarily, in a logical fashion, oh, why did I buy that car? And, and that might, I'm sorry if, if uh, I use the, the wrong analogy, but I think it's wonderful to get people emotive. And I think most of the people that work in our industry, we, we, we share our emotion. And that's a good thing. So if we know how our customers react, it's very, it's very important because as we curate the experience, we want to make sure that we're curating it in an optimal way. Now, I, I love that you use that word, curation. It's, it's, it's a buzzword now, of course, because of the online space, the social and digital space. I've not heard anybody really speak to it as it relates to the salon experience. So talk about curation in the salon from, a, from an owner, manager, stylist perspective. Well, it's, 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 it's absolutely critical today. We, in, the, in the class, we refer to everyone as a CEO. Now, we know what a CEO is, right? Um, but we, our definition is a chief experience officer. And we like to rename everyone in the salon from the front desk to the people that maintain the salon to the stylists, to the owners. We're all sitting on the same dais. We're all sitting at the same dais and we're, we know what our responsibility is, which is our part in curating our guest or our customer's experience. And I think when we come at it from that vantage point, we're going to do a better job. And we're going to realize that, you know, there really is no hierarchy. A few of us have more accountability within the salon, but we're all really trying to do the same thing is to create this magnificent experience within our salons. So kind of connecting the dots between the emotional and the, and the experience and curation, you know, your example of that coffee shop, which I'm going to have to get the name of and find a way to get to someday um, with, with the blue device, blue the blue bottle, you had an emotional reaction. You saw something it wasn't logical. It was emotional. You were drawn to it. And that, that led to you, you know, making the transaction. And so, and that was before it began, before the experience of the, of, of the coffee shop began. Talk about that from the salon, because, you know, there's a lot of different parts and pieces that go into a salon experience from the reception to the, to, to at the chair, to at the bowl, to, and, and more. So can you talk about that? Yes, you're absolutely right. You know, my grandparents, drank coffee every meal. It was funny. Just as a little kid, I would look at them from breakfast, lunch to dinner. It's amazing that they weren't dehydrated. They, they, I never saw them drink water. Now, they probably paid a nickel for a cup of coffee. And if they knew how much it paid for that blue bottle cup of coffee, about probably six or seven dollars, they'd be respectfully turning in their grave. But as a consumer, I place a value on that experience. So I know I can buy a cheaper product, but the way I'm wired and the way our customers are wired, we're willing to pay the amount of money that it will take for the experience that we want. So that's where the opportunity today in business starts. We could say, my customers don't want to buy product. My customers don't want uh, you know, an expensive service. But what we really do, if we're providing something extraordinary that meets their expectation, 
they will pay it. And most likely, someone is going to end up opening up that style of business next to you. And everyone's going to want to try it because they were innovative. They kept up with the innovation cycle. Does that make sense? That that makes perfect sense. Now, you've traveled the world. You've been in more salons, I'm sure, than, than either of us can count. Any examples of, of the experiential side that really just kind of pop out to you, whether it's, you know, coming into the salon or, or just, I don't know, out of the box examples or just like um, classic examples that, that would be perhaps role models? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. In the 360 class, we walk through part of what we call touchstones. And Tom and I and the team came up with 170 touch points within the salon, meaning different interactions that client will experience. But we know there are more. So we know how does the parking lot look? What does the door handle look like? What does it smell like when I walk in? Do I want to have Wi-Fi service? Do I have a place to hang up my briefcase or purse? What does the changing room look like? Is there a candle? Is there a... And the more we pay attention to even some of the smaller things, and granted, you're right, I've seen some extraordinary things, but the smaller things people seem to really love. And these are things that don't cost a lot of money. When we do the class, we set the rooms up to create an experience for two days. So we take a very stock bathroom, and we roll in a cart, we put our beautiful Orbe candle, and we take a small, small glass dish, and we put some mints in it, some, some Listerine, and we put a you know, uh, if you spill some, excuse me, some aspirin and people come and say, God, I love what you've done with the bathroom. And we look at each other and we say, you know, we, we spent $15 on curating the bathroom and everyone looks at one another and says, oh, I, I get it. That to create something unique takes just a little care, but not necessarily a lot of money. So we could talk about some of the extraordinary things that I've seen, but I would say a well-curated experience that has the customer at the heart that's regularly innovating, those are the ones that are going to win or achieve the goals that they set out to. I love that you mentioned the bathroom um, because for me and many of my consumer friends, and I'm always talking to, to people outside the industry, including people on airplanes about their experience in salons or perceptions of salons and hairdressing generally, and bathrooms are a big deal. It's kind of like being in a restaurant. I think I think those of us who make it to the bathroom in a salon, um, we often will judge a lot of other stuff by by that moment. You know, is is it spotless? Is it is it a little extra special? You know, the candle makes all the difference in the world. Um, and I, I I just love that you bring that up. And I, I also love, by the way, that you mentioned Wi-Fi. I think that's such an underrated amenity that so many consumers are looking for. And it's all this little stuff that adds up in the potentially in the plus column, it makes a difference between whether you come back or not. Gordon, we have as simple as having charging stations when we teach the class. Oh. We, we bring in charging stations because we know how anxious a customer is when their cell phone starts to run down. So you could imagine the feeling. They think we've invented the iPhone when we hand them a charging station during the class because we know how anxious they'll be if their phone is not charged. If we did nothing else during this class, the charging stations 
feels like a miracle to them. I, and I'll, I'll share my most recent haircut experience. There were, uh, it's a, I go to a, a really boutique kind of small, cool salon. There's four chairs, four hairdressers. They do really amazing work. And there were four clients. I was one of them. And we were simultaneously searching for places to plug our phones in. <laughs> and so it was almost a battle between the blow dryers and us. And um, what a difference a charging station would have made. I love that. Absolutely. When, when Tom and I get done with the class, we realize that there is, there is from being good to great, it's, there's not that much that one has to do, but one has to be conscious of it. Uh, we like Tom loves to talk about, you know, being bumped up to business class when you're flying and he goes through this idea of, well, what's it like? What does it feel like? And, you know, we walk through the, you know, the taking the nuts out of the, the bag and putting them into a ceramic bowl or, you know, offering a, a, a drink or having a plastic knife. And we all know at every point that we're in an airplane, that there's only so many upgrades that they can do. So we're aware but it feels so much more prestigious. Now, we love to take that into the salon and take a look at the upgrade idea within our salons because we can make the experience so much more memorable by providing these upgrades. Going back to the bathroom issue you're talking about, one there was a, a salon that I was quite close to, and that was their form of expression was to create a new bathroom every couple of months, whether it was artificial grass on the floor and a birdcage in the, in the uh, salon. But that was the decorating of the bathroom was their artistic expression. And what a, what a great and simple idea. The, the salon I go to, they do beautiful flowers, but always unique arrangements. And I look forward to seeing the arrangement being different the next time I go. And, you know, they really take care, but they are also, in talking to them, they're aware that clients notice and appreciate it. So it's a really, it's a really interesting point. Absolutely. The, the salon is a community center. We oftentimes, we, we use as an analogy, the boutique hotels. And we take a look at the Morgan's group, you know, those famous guys that own Studio 54, and they started creating, you know, boutique hotels. And just the way that they looked at the hotel industry and they created a disruption and they 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 looked at it in a different way and they looked at those lobbies and they said that these are you know community gathering centers they're not lobbies anymore and when you take a look at something like you know the first time you went into a w hotel and instead of seeing concierge you saw the little placard that said whatever whenever and and you always knew that you couldn't order an Iron Man suit um, at three in the morning, but it made you smile because you felt like, okay, you know, I want my coffee or I want a pizza when I get in. These guys have a little bit of a sense of humor and it makes me feel important that I could have whatever I want whenever I want. I love that you, you know, so much of what you're sharing in this program is, is coming from outside the industry. I mean, it feels like, you know, you're, you're constantly paying attention to what's happening around you and, and drawing on those ideas and, and making them part of the teaching. Um, I think there's a lesson in that for salons. I think all of us, you know, we, we, we 
there's so much to learn around us. And you've brought up a lot of examples, but what about that idea? I mean, do you take time? Are you conscious of the fact that you're doing this? Absolutely. I remember my my friend David Wagner back in the day, I heard him on stage say one time that I watch my industry X amount of the time, but I'm looking at all other industries you know, a tremendous amount. And I've heard other people say that as well. I'm not sure anyone quite owns that. But I think our opportunity is just so extreme. And when you take a look at what's happening today, there is a tremendous shift afoot. But that's not a bad thing if we gear up for it. We've become, you know, part of the big beauty cycle. We used to be so isolated, which had its pros and it had its cons. But I really see a big future for us. And I do take a look at outside of our industry. I mean, you know, in the future, it's not so far away that, you know, a a big design company may approach a salon in an urban area and ask them to do a trunk show with a new collection and to invite their new, um, invite their best clients. It's just, it's not so far off that we're going to see all sorts of very innovative things happen within that club-like uh, that club-like environment. And that's just one idea. But you're going to see a lot of different things happen. There's going to be a big shakeout. And I think those of us that are not prepared to, it, it's not change. It's become a, a lifelong learner, something our good friend Doug Cole in Minnesota taught me to continue to educate ourselves, to continue to be current. And what I do is I like to look outside at what's going on and I know we, we, we can look at the internet. I'm a magazine junkie. I travel a great deal. I read a great deal. But pick up the magazine Monocle, for example, and oh, take yes. a look at what's, what someone's doing in you know, Japan or what someone's doing uh, in Israel. Take a look at certain trends and think to yourself, how could I bring this into my salon? How could I innovate my salon? So I do think there's tremendous things that are happening today that can be brought into our environments. And I do think that's where the excitement is going to come for most of us to innovate our current situation. Well, there, there's certainly in the last, I don't know, maybe five to 10 years, a, a convergence you know, between the worlds of fashion and hair. There's always been a connection. Um, Orbe is a great example. You know, Your team is always at Fashion Week, has a major presence at Fashion Week. And I think you guys represent that kind of shift as, as well as any brand does. To your point of, of new stuff coming, fashion certainly has to play a role in it. Absolutely. I think we see ourselves at... Or we see ourselves as a fashion business first, and that's that's interesting. I mean, we love hair, but we we see Orbe the man sitting at the table or, um, with with a fashion editor, with a makeup artist, with a designer. It's very collaborative. And when you take a look at something like what Kian, one of our design directors, has keyed his last season almost twenty shows at New York Fashion Week, and they're working with the blondes and they're collaborating. And it's such an exciting thing. And, and we have a wonderful education program called the Journey to Mastery. And our competitors, God bless us, would say, well, you know, those guys, they're good. You know, they teach you guys some really good stuff, but you can't use it in the salon. We look at it totally different. We, we really wish to inspire the people that go through our education. We really like to grow their vocabulary. We love to grow their technical ability because once they get there, tremendous things start to happen um, on a confidence side. And a lot of the education we do, it now, I'm very proud of the team, 
it's full circle. We just completed a atelier, which was one of our big educational events in Seattle. We'll have five of them this season around the country. And we heard countless times that all the things that we're learning on stage from runway can be used within the salon. And at the end of the day, it's the, that's the product that the salons are providing is the, the service, is the technical ability. And not everyone can provide it. And that's, I think, the, the key thing that keeps everyone in the game is this ability to provide something very unique and to go a little bit deeper. And people will pay the price for something excellent that makes them look good. And feel good. One thing I love about about the education that you all provide, I'm having experienced some of it myself. And, and of course, I'm not a hairdresser, so I'm I'm usually observing the audience as much as I'm observing the education. And because I'm fascinated with the behavior of hairdressers and what engages them and what excites them and what do they leave with. And what I find in your programs is you elevate the conversation. You you really raise the bar on not only the doing of hair but the thinking or in and around it. And again, as you say, taking all that back to the salon and, and putting it to use. And I'm always blown away by, well, first, relative to this podcast, the experience of your audience, because you guys put on one heck of a educational program when it comes to all the little things that make the difference between good and great. But also, um, they are pretty darn jazzed up when they're <laughs> when that class is over. And it's it's um, there's something really smart about it. And, and so kudos to you for that. You know, it, was, it was always a goal. When Orbe and Tev and myself, when we were um, t- trying to wrap our head around what Orbe would look like and what the business would look like and what the educational component would look like. When you say you want to be the best, it's, it's a word that, again, doesn't necessarily have a lot of meaning. When you say it, you really have to experience it to, to see if it, if, if it is the best within um, your experience range. And on the education side, what's so great about Orbe the man is I've, I've worked on a few wonderful projects in my life, but he's so positive about the role of the hairdresser. And we come from that point as well. And it's not about what we're doing wrong. It's really what we're doing right. I want to see everyone succeed. And when we do these education classes, we watch people grow a foot. And we know if we can get them to that point in a safe environment with these extraordinary teachers we have, we've got 25 really top-notch, empathetic, wonderful teachers. I love every one of them. I go to every one of these shows to to watch what's going on because I'm on the education team. And once people experience that, then they go home and that's when the education starts. And the idea with this, our journey to mastery program is it's 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 episodic. And our, our team would say, well, wait a minute, you never become a master. And, and we agree, you, you never will. But if you try really hard and you aim really high, you can fall to something that is respectable because it's not just the skill we're developing. We're developing one another. We're developing the spirit. We're developing a standard that lives within each one of us. So we see it as much broader than just learning a technical skill. We're developing people. So that's why we spend a lot of effort on our education department. That's why it's so different 
than what other people offer. So that education, you mentioned the name Tom several times, and that education department is, I believe, headed up by Tom and um, co-teaches this program with you. Would you just do a, a brief introduction to Mr. Seeberger for our audience, for those who may not know him? Yeah, Tom's, Tom's fabulous. Tom heads up the business education, and Talia Thomas heads up our technical education department. Both amazing people. Tom and I go back to the Aveda days. Tom is a is a lifelong learner. He's someone that has spent most of his adult life chasing knowledge. He has a very warm, you know, empathetic side. He conveys uh, information in probably one of the best ways that I've seen because he's he's inclusive. He doesn't he doesn't shut people out and it's not about the level of your developmental, the scope, your scope, everyone at various points, we have to make ensure that people are open to receive knowledge. And Tom does it in a very old school, in a very loving way. And I very so much appreciate it. Every time we teach this class, we relive older days, you know, our, 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 you know, along our journey, and we make new days. And it's very, very important to us that the people that are paying the money, that are coming all this way to spend two days with us, experience something extraordinary and for sure that we create a memory. So that's Tom Seberger. You you all have to come and experience Tom teaching a class. He teaches other classes that are fabulous through the Orbe uh, network. And thank you for acknowledging Tom. I think that's um, I think he does deserve a a big shout out. He does. He's he's one of those educators, educators. You know, I mean, he's he's just he's got passion for it, and he's really great at, at what he does. So, yeah, absolutely, one of our industry's best. Yep, absolutely. So, speaking of best, it re- it reminds me that I I miss something that I usually do at the start. But um, we've been digging deep into experience and education, and I, I lost my way a little bit. I want to ask you, um, what would be perhaps some of the best advice anybody's ever given you professionally and, and, and maybe why our audience might get something from it. That's, that's a wonderful question. And I'm glad you told, you gave me a heads up so I could think about this question. And what comes to mind a lot is when I was young, I was always you know, driven. I didn't know in life that you could ask for a wonderful family. And I didn't know that you could ask for tremendous relationships or that you could travel or that you could experience great things. I only thought that you have to ask for success. And now when I coach the youngins in our organization, I share with them that your personal ask can and should be really broad. Well, when I was young, I went to a graduation of my niece and I wasn't looking forward to it. It was a hot gymnasium. It was in St. Paul, Minnesota. And wonderful St. Paul, Minnesota. And the person giving the address was, I think at the time, the president of one of those, you know, wonderful Fortune 100 companies out in Minnesota. It could have been Pillsbury. And he said to the kids, he said, you know, you're about to embark on a great journey. And I've got some really important information to share with you today. I'm going to share with you the secret to finding success. And all of a sudden, Gordon, I popped up. My ears popped up and I was very attentive. And in essence, he said, go out and find something that's not working and fix it. Go out and find something that's broken and fix it. And all of a sudden I thought, oh my, that is 
good advice because it's a lot easier than I thought. So take that into our salons, into our businesses, into our families, into our communities, into our belief centers. And I think that's probably the secret to a lot of the things that we're searching for. I, I love that. I want to ask, you know, when I did the introduction um, of you, you have a very long list of hobbies. And I do. You do. And, and yet, you are a, a, a driven executive with a lot on your plate, a, a fantastic kind of iconic business career. And some would probably be surprised by that because we think of the workaholic executive, and I'm, I'm sure you put in un ungodly hours, but you managed to find time for all these hobbies. And the reason I bring this up is I, I think, you know, life balance is, is talked about, it's in front of us. I don't, I don't know how balanced or not you are, but, but clearly you've got other stuff going on. Any thoughts on the importance that plays in your life and more important, the importance, anything you could speak to uh, for the audience on, the, on that topic? Yes. You know, when we were, when we were young in business, people would talk about balance. They, the, you know, some of these business uh, talking heads introduced this idea of work-life balance. And in, in my life, people didn't necessarily talk about the balance so much. We had production schedules and we had goals to achieve. And a lot of the folks that I was in business you know, with weren't so keen on the other side. Now, as I grew older, I realized that as I got closer to things that I was passionate about, you know, as I got closer to roles and business that I'm passionate about, I put more energy into it because it energized me. So I love the business that I'm in right now. And I love the team members that I, I work with. And I'm very much on the creative side. I still sit on the product development side. I sit on the marketing side. And so even though I like to sketch, I may be sketching ideas for a package. I may be sketching ideas for a uh, Christmas card, design ideas for a shop. I love to read historic fiction. All these things sort of fuel my passion that I use within the business. And then if I go into my garden, uh, early in the morning, it's quiet time, but I'm thinking about maybe a, a project. Um, I was reading in the New York Times one time. I love on Sunday morning to get the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal weekend and the New York Times. And in those three uh, newspapers is enough reading for the full week. And if you can't find 50 different idea starters then there's something wrong with us. The T Magazine that you get in the Times, the How to Spend It in the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal reading about designers and architects is actually mind-blowing. So I'll read that through the week. So these are these ideas. And I don't even keep a lined paper anymore. I keep a sketch pad that I work with. So I have to, I, I, I draw my ideas out. I write them down. So I'm so much closer to my personal bliss that it's all one. It became all one. My life, my relationships with the people that I work with, my family. And it's and it's I now have that balance. And my wife may disagree when I'm on a plane to Taipei and I should be home for Mother's Day. But you know, there's almost a perfect bliss when I'm out there doing what I love to do and I'm impacting other people's lives and and uh, helping helping people grow. 
I love that. And I, I may use some of that in explaining to my dog when I walk her why I'm thinking about business and listening to business podcasts. And she gives me these strange looks like you're not present with me. And I think your, your explanation of life balance and how, how it can be kind of ripple over into the professional side, that may work with her. I'm going to try that this afternoon. You, you, you've got to try it because I, I feel bad. Sometimes we have to communicate. It's very difficult to communicate, but it's one of the great one of the great um, arts in life to over communicate, to make sure we're patient when we're communicating. It's one of the greatest leadership tools. It's wonderful for relationships, but it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And if we, you know, when we do this, it makes things, it just makes things so much, so much better. And we become better leaders. You mentioned your Sunday reading habits. I I, I don't get past the New York Times. Um, it's my favorite Sunday morning thing, but I, I can't imagine doing two more. So <laughs> kudos to you for pulling that off. Um, but but uh, any um, thing that you're reading, listening to, viewing, and or obsessing about that you would recommend, perhaps that our, our audience might find of interest? I, d- I do. I, one of my mentors is a, a great business operator, and I hope you all get to meet him. His name is uh, Doug Cole from Cole's Salon in uh, Minnesota. And Doug put a name to this idea of life, life learning, lifetime learning, continually um, bettering yourself. And Doug introduced the book Good to Great to both Tev and I years and years ago. And I think I would definitely, I use that um, as a training tool for our entire team. And it was a, really a great high point last year when our team was able to get Mr. Collins to come and speak and address our audience um, at an event that we were having. It was life-changing. Doug, in one of my last uh, coaching sessions, he asked us to pick up the book, How Does How Successful People Lead by John Maxwell. Have you, have you read it? I have not, but I've read some of John Maxwell. And, and in fact, um, a couple episodes ago, Vivian McKinder was on this podcast yes. with us and she talked with great passion about John Maxwell. Yeah. Vivian's great. She's trained to, to, to uh, educate for John Maxwell and she's a very smart person. Um, he gave me this book. He said, read it. And, and Doug's a wonderful coach because he said, and when you're finished reading, call me so we can discuss it. So you can't hide from it. So I picked up the book. I started reading it. And Doug's style of reading, he's always coached me to read something three times. That I'm supposed to just read it for pure pleasure. The second time, I'm supposed to dog ear, yellow line. And then the third time, I'm to read it to see how it affects my business. And I picked this book up and I read early in the morning before the workout where I'm the most lucid. And it really is something special. I mean, it really is kind of a refresh on leadership. And I'm not necessarily a trained leader. I like to operate under the guise of, um, you know, um, leading by example. But I highly recommend it. And I found myself buying the book and not one book for each team member, but buying it and assigning it in teams, just giving it to them and saying, when you're done with instructions, pass it on. So I would highly recommend both of those books, Good to Great by Jim Collins, and How Successful People Lead by John Maxwell. And I'm going to say kind of two big ideas. I'm making notes. Um, two big ideas that I took right from there are that read it three times. I, I, I'm, I'm a reader, and um, but I tend to highlight and I literally write notes and books as I read. And I find that doing that sometimes is actually disruptive, although it's a lifelong habit and it's a way for me to find what I'm looking for when I go back. And I tend to reread my highlights. But I, I really, 
I like that. I'm going to give it a try. Read it first for pleasure. And then that second time to do the highlighting and notations if I heard it right. And the third that to, to really kind of see how I'm going to incorporate those ideas into business or life. No, Gordon, you're a fast processor. You're a very smart man. I'm a bit of a slow processor and I sometimes do some of my best thinking when other people are speaking. So I, I find it very uh, a successful format. And I, I watch. I like it. My, my wife, Sonia, she has the, I, I purchased the uh, Diane von Furstenberg uh, autobiography, and she's someone that I, I looked up to, I love to look up to in many ways. And I noticed that um, she was reading with a yellow pen. And, and as you know, I travel a lot and I see a lot of business people that do the same thing. So this idea that together we, we won't advance unless we develop our scope. I think everyone in the audience that we're speaking to today or speaking with today we're all very similar. And it's not about the level of education or how much money you make. It's really about developing your scope. So if we can develop our scope, the depth of our scope, the, the depth of knowledge, then all sorts of doors will open up and we will be able to achieve what we want to achieve. I mean, gosh, I think about going through good to great and, and teaching my team. You know, the whole premise of good to great was taking a look at you know, a, a group of businesses that all had the same resources, but yet some were successful and then some were not. And Mr. Collins and his team, they asked the question, how's that so? And they take a look at the leadership and they take a look at the habits. What I love about the book, when Mr. Collins and his team are looking at the attributes of the leaders, never at one point, Gordon, did they say this person went to Harvard Business School or West Point. Really what they said is they talked about the attributes of these great leaders. And as I read it, probably for my fifth time, you realize that any one of the people in the audience could be a level five leader. That's, his, that's the height of leadership. Every one of us can achieve that. And when you take a look at the success model that they came up with, which is his hedgehog concept, which is three intersecting circles, and one is, what are you the most passionate about in life? What is it that you can be the absolute best at? And then conversely, what not? And then what is your economic driver? And the businesses that did really well all knew what their hedgehog concept was. They, everyone on the team knew those three things. So imagine now learning this information. Do you think my team's? have hedgehog concepts? Yeah. And how fun was it to work with each one of these groups to go through the book, to vigorously debate this idea, and to be able to put it on paper was fantastic. But I wouldn't have known how to do that if I didn't pick up a book or listen to a podcast. You know, you and I talked about those two documentaries we liked. Do you remember what the two documentaries were? Yeah, uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi. Hero Dreams of Sushi. Jero, Jero, Jero Dreams of Sushi. And? Some. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, and, you, and, and we both watched them. And yes. as part of the coursework, when all these really amazing salon owners come to 360, we asked them to watch those two documentaries. Yes, most of them do. Most of them watch the documentaries. And then we asked them, why? Why would you watch those documentaries? Now, you watched Jiro 
Dreams of Sushi. Can you can you tell me what your thoughts were after you saw that? My probably my most immediate thought, and actually it happened as I was watching it, um, because there's a there's a a thread that runs through. There's there's several that run through the story. The one that struck me the most, I think, because of the industry we're in, was the idea of of the apprentice and and the master. And the learning that one goes through, and there's so much more that happens in this documentary, but I just think it's such a, and, it, and it's about the craft. But I, but I, I really felt that there was a relevance to the hairdressing industry, to the hairdresser, of 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 learning and what it takes, and 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 putting in the time and being present. There's so many themes, but to me, I, I walked out and I saw it in the theater originally. I just said, every hairdresser, every student of hairdressing must see this documentary. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's why we asked them to look at it because you see, and, and I don't want to ruin it for our audience. We want everyone in our audience to go out and watch it or get it on Netflix. But you, you take a look at someone like Jiro that is a small operator in almost a hidden place, but he has created through passion, through discipline, through belief, a international awareness for his craft, for his restaurant, and anyone that's passionate about what they do, when they take a look at it, they take a look at themselves. And it validates that little voice inside that says, I can do better. I'm in search of a different path. When I speak to my friend Gene Juarez, the man in Seattle, who's really a, a fine human being, um, another one of my mentors, and always really is an elegant person, never has a bad thing to say about anyone. And he really speaks about building people. And he too is a lifelong learner. He too um, coaches me very, uh, very often. And Gene would say in his career, who he's had tremendous success when he was doing hair, every haircut, every color, he would look at it and he would say, how could I do that better? What, how could I approach that from a different angle? So it was always about self-improvement. And he was always very careful not to undermine his work, not to say he failed, but he was always looking at a positive way to make it a little bit better. He played a game with himself. And you take a look at what he and his collaborators and partners did over those years, and it was just absolutely tremendous. So there's a lot a lot more for us to continually expose ourselves to and continually learn. I think that's the success model moving into the future. And that's really the thing that's going to help us survive during all these shifts and changes that are being brought upon us now. I have a lot more notes, but I, I have to say that this is such a great place to begin to close this out that I'm not even going to go back to my notes because that was just so well said. And I'm so glad you brought up the documentaries. And uh, again, it's just a, a perfect place to begin to close out this conversation. I want, want you to just share how um, our audience can, can find you, can find Orbe online, whether it's in social or digital. It is. It, 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 it's in all of those things. And um, I'd love to meet as many of you. And I, I want to, you know, try to make clear that, you know, we're hearing a lot of negative things today within our industry. We hear a lot of negative things um, just out there within our government, um, just out in the community. And I think that we can choose 
how we want the outcome and how we want the ending to manifest itself. And it lives within each one of us. And I want all of us to be proud of each other. I want us to be proud of our team members. And I want us all to excel, not at the cost of anyone else, but I want us to excel. I want us to be involved in our communities. I want us to be involved with our children. I want us to honor those that are serving our country. And I want us to be disciplined and respectful. And there's nothing wrong with our industry. We have powerful, engaging people. They have amazing outlooks. And I think the future is going to be bright. Let's make it bright. Let's make it innovative. And let's be part of big beauty or small beauty. But let's be like Jiro. Even if we have a, a small sushi restaurant in the basement of a train station that has either six or eight stools that no one can see, let's beam such a tremendous amount of energy and light that we can impact the people around us and mentor the next generation of kids coming through our industry. I'm proud to be part of it. I'm proud of all of you and I thank all of you. So I'll see you at one of our ateliers or one of our events. Thank you, Gordon. Daniel Kaner, co-founder and co-president of Orbe Hair Care. And to our audience, you can go to Orbe.com. You can find Orbe on Facebook and Orbe on Instagram. Daniel, it's been a pleasure and honor to speak to you. You've inspired me today. Thank you for being with the American Salon Stories podcast. Thank you. You and American Salon are doing a great, a great job. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow us on Instagram, where we are known as at American underscore salon, also at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, Your Daily Beauty Fix. This is American Salon publisher Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you more American Salon Stories next week. 